Good morning, everyone online. Good to see you this morning. It's Sunday morning, Woodburn Baptist Church worship time. It is so, so wonderful to welcome you to worship and that you have chosen to be a part of this worship service. We're recording on Wednesday night. We've got the Wednesday night group here as well. God bless you guys. We love you. And we've got a really, really good regular Wednesday night group right now. And you guys are awesome. I appreciate your faithfulness. Everybody's all masked up. Tonight, I sing every song with my mask up. And, and I'm a pretty big singer, so it, it, was, it was pretty awesome. I, my brain's lacking just a little bit of oxygen at the moment, but uh, I, I appreciate uh, everybody's extra effort to make worship important. Listen, good news. Uh, if you're joining me on Sunday morning, Sunday morning the 19th, understand next Sunday the 26th, next Sunday the 26th, we will be adding the 11 o'clock service at Woodburn Baptist Church. Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. No reservations needed. You just come. Now, we're going to have overflow Ready. So if we can accommodate everybody in the sanctuary, we will have live stream in various places throughout the campus. But you can come in person next Sunday morning, July 26, 11 o'clock a.m. I've been waiting a long time to say that. We'll continue Wednesday nights at 730. Uh, you guys just continue to come right on. It's great to have you here. And we will also continue Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock worship on the lawn. Get it? We're on the lawn and online <laughs> every Sunday. So don't miss that. Sunday night on the lawn, uh, just bring your own chair, bring snacks, bring your water bottle. Our front lawn is all in shade after six o'clock, and uh, last Sunday night was a great time. D don't miss that opportunity because it's a good opportunity to worship together. I miss it so much. It does my heart so good to be with you all on these Wednesday nights. Uh, we were singing the song, the first song of worship tonight, and we were singing about, you know, take me down to the river and, and, and baptize me, and man, I'm just thinking how much I miss that. I just want to baptize somebody. Oh my goodness. And we have new believers waiting to be baptized. Uh, so I, uh, uh, this time has been so frustrating for me as a pastor, but it is so good to see us begin to come together again. So next Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, you be here. I'll be here with you. We do ask that you wear a mask. I know it's America and nobody can make you do it, but would you just do it for the sake of others? There are people who are really, really vulnerable. And if they were to get sick, it would be very devastating for them. And there are others who are just really, really nervous about coming out at all, but they want to come to worship, and when they get here, they would prefer that, that they see people in masks. So can you just do that? I mean, I'm doing it. I, I'm very over-accessorizing. I got a mask on. I got a microphone on. I mean, I got all kinds of junk jangling on me, but, uh, but, but it, it's worth it. It's, it's just worth it. So wear a mask and come to worship, and, uh, and we will get through all of this together. Open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you're with me on 10 with Tim, every single day we are going verse by verse to the book of 1 Corinthians. And then on Sunday, I'm taking one of those passages and then preaching it big uh, for the folks here on Sunday morning. So tonight, I want you to, tonight, today, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's talk about temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. Uh, it was a while back, and I, I only saw this woman one time. I never saw her again. But this woman walked in church one day during the week and said, uh, I'd like to talk to the minister. I said, I'm the, I'm the pastor. I'm the minister. My name is Tim Harris. And I introduced myself to her. And she just really got right to it. She, I don't even remember if she told me her name. She said, I want to get my kids done. I'm like, excuse me? You know, uh, I, I want to get my kids done, she said. I said, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, what, what is it that you want us to do for your children? She said, whatever it is you do in that big tub, you know, that big tub, you know, whatever it is you do in that big tub, I want, I, I want you to do my kids, I want to get my, get my children done. 
I said, well, ma'am, you're talking about baptism. She said, that's right. I like to have my children baptized. I said, well, ma'am, is your family Christian? Are you a Christian? You know, because baptism is for Christians. You know, it's not just like you drop your kids off like to get a haircut. Or, or drop them off like for a play date at Chuck E. Cheese, you know, or, or like bring them by the health department for vaccinations. I mean, baptism is something for believers. So I asked her, you know, are, are, are you a believer? And she said, well, no, I'm not really religious, I'm spiritual. But I would like to have my children, you know, baptized. So I explained to her how, you know, baptism really was something that was supposed to go along with a, a genuine commitment to Jesus. And I asked about her children if they knew about Jesus and were ready to commit to Jesus. I just sort of explained to her that the Christian life is a life of commitment and, and salvation by grace, but you got to want Jesus. It's a life of repentance and walking with the Lord. And when I explained it all to her, she walked out the door. I never saw her again. It's interesting how... Uh, and God bless her soul. I, I don't want to speak poorly of a woman I don't even know, but um, how trivial she made that seem. You know, you know, just how something so important that the spiritual life, not only of the children, but of this mother, to make it all sound so trivial, I just want to get my children done, you know, as if she could just drop them by the church and I could, you know, push them in and, and they'd be good. Uh, that, that's not how any of this works. And this is sort of where we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and this church has a lot of good things to say for it, and Paul is perfectly honest about the strength of the church. They're very spiritual. They exercise an incredible array of spiritual gifts. They have a lot of wisdom and a lot of pride, but, but there's some things that they lack. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul puts his finger right on it. It seems like certain members of the church took a lot of comfort in the fact that they were in the church. A lot of comfort in the fact that they had been baptized and that they participated in the Lord's Supper. And so for them, that sort of gave them a license to do anything else they wanted to do. As long as they participated in the church, they assumed that therefore they could live any way they wanted to live. As if participation equals salvation. And so Paul points out here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 the importance of what they're missing you cannot make such important matters trivial. And this brings us to the scripture. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Read this with me and uh, think about how this applies to you. First Corinthians chapter 10. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. Now, we, we've done Exodus together as a church family. So now Paul is taking them back to the Exodus story to help them understand the connection. Here we go. All of them. Now, I'm going to say all of them a lot. So pay attention when I say all of them, and then pay attention when I start saying some of them. All right, because that's important. Ready? I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. Now, you know, he's using Christian language here so that they make the connection. When they went through the Red Sea, it was like baptism. It wasn't baptism, but it was like that. Okay, so stay with me. Verse 3, all of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with, say it, most of them. 
God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Verse 6, these things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry and we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Again, read the book of Exodus. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did. Get it? We're now some of them. And, and they died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Isn't that good? If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Temptation. As I said, uh, we have a terrible tendency to minimize things that are not minimal. We have a tremendous tendency to downplay things that really would be impossible to overplay, and temptation is one of those things. But when it turns to temptation, you know, we always sort of, uh, we end up, you know, like sort of giggling and telling stories like, you know, when I was a kid and I used to sneak cookies out of the cookie jar, I was just so tempted, you know. We tell those kind of cute stories about taking cookies out of the cookie jar, that sort of thing, or, or somebody will say, yeah, you know, the, the, the other day I, I came home from work and my wife and the kids, they were out by the pool and I was just so tempted to put on my bathing suit and, and, and just not go back to work and stay home and jump in the pool. You know, I was so tempted, you know, that's the way we talk about it. When we talk about temptation, we sort of leave it at, at, at that level, sort of, at, you know, at, 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 at that place. We, we have a tendency just always to tell the stories of temptation that are just, you know, we can just sort of laugh about. You know, like you're at the restaurant and you just ate the giant shrimp scampi platter. And then the waiter, waitress comes around with the big tray of desserts and, and holds a dessert in front of you and you say, oh, stop tempting me. I couldn't eat another bite. Well, actually, tell me what's on the tray. And then they show you the German chocolate cake and they show you the strawberry cheesecake and then they show you the key lime pie and then they show you the Reese's peanut butter cup sundae and you think, oh my goodness, I couldn't possibly eat another bite, but would you share that with me? Could we get that with two spoons? You know, that's the way we talk about temptation. We like to keep it at the Reese's peanut butter cup sundae level. But... Um, it's very foolish to keep the conversation about temptation at the Reese's peanut butter cup Sunday level. I think some of you know that the temptation in your life is much, much more serious than the Reese's peanut butter cup Sunday. Surely you understand. Temptation is serious because sin is serious. It's life and death serious. 
So Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. So in Scripture, there's always this connection between sin and death. So do you understand? Temptation is serious because sin is serious. Our problem is that we don't take sin seriously. Therefore, we don't take temptation seriously. We just like to keep it, you know, at the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Sunday level. Man was talking about the frustration of being quarantined with his wife for these four months. And uh, said that uh, two weeks ago, something like that. They got in a fight. Honestly got in a fight over whether or not she was actually acting like her mother. <laughs> and that caused a giant, seriously, a, a, a big argument between them. And so he got in the car and just left the house just to get away, to get away from her just to get away, and so he was driving. He drove for about an hour just trying to cool off, and um, he said he pulled up at a stoplight. He pulled up at a stoplight, and a, there was a really attractive woman in the car next to him at the stoplight, and so he, he looked over at, at her, and he looked a little bit too long, and then she caught his eye, and she saw him looking, and so she started looking back, and and then this woman went for it. This woman started, you know, smiling. Um, she lowered her window and tried to get him to, you know, lower his window and talk to her. And uh, he really enjoyed that. And he's a married man, ha- happily married man. Uh, but he enjoyed that attention for that moment. Um, her window was down as she was trying to get him to lower the window and talk to her. And then the light changed. And so he drove off. But, but she like kept it going. She, she drove up next to him and then she, she pulled around in front of him and then put on her turn signal. Like she was trying to get him to follow her, you know, off on a side street. It scared him. It scared him because he realized how close he, he was. And he also, as a believer, he, he just realized how the devil operates. You know, how in that moment, in that moment of vulnerability, in in that moment where he's frustrated, in that moment where he's already feeling hurt, and and, and in that moment, that's the very moment when the devil baits the trap and and puts that woman right next to him. And, And I mean, he realized at that moment how very, very quickly, how very easily he could throw away everything, everything that actually mattered in his life, his wife, his family, everything, how close he was to shooting himself in the foot. And it was just that moment of temptation. Do you understand? We're not talking about a Reese's peanut butter cup Sunday. We're talking about everything, everything that that man held dear. Do you understand? Temptation is serious because sin is serious. Life and death, serious. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So make no mistake, the devil is your enemy, and his ultimate goal would be to ruin, to destroy your life. He's evil. He's not going to play fair. He's not going to take a break. He's not going to give you a, you know, a, a little bit of you know, freedom just because it's a pandemic and he knows you're tired. No, he knows you're tired. He knows you're vulnerable. He knows exactly what to bait the trap with, and he is going to come after you. There is a target on you. You forget that. You like to keep it at the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Sunday level. You just like to keep it with the child in the cookie jar kind of level. But you've got to be serious about the sin in your life. I'm talking to believers. Of course I'm talking to believers. Here's the thing. 
Uh, church can actually be a convenient place to continue in your sin. You're thinking, what? <laughs> don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Church can be a convenient place to continue in your sin while making yourself look better and feel better. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not really expecting you to say amen to that, but you know, you've got to at least admit that there's truth in this. Man, church is a great place to continue in your sin. I mean, it's a better place, you know, to get right with God and allow Jesus to change your heart. But I'm telling you, lots and lots of people go with option B right here. Just continue in their sin. Because church, when you get to church, you, you sort of start feeling like maybe you're that guy. The guy at church. The woman at church that, that, that gets up and puts on a dress and heals. You know, you start feeling like that family that all drives to church, you know, and they sit on a pew and, or sit on the couch and online. You know, the church is just this kind of amazing thing. It, it kind of makes you feel like you're ready to start the week all over. But the problem is nothing ever changes with most of us. We continue in our sin. We absolutely live like the world. We live like the devil. There's no change in any of us. But church makes us look better. I mean, we can say we went to church, and it makes us feel better. You know, and sometimes if church is really long and especially boring, if they make you wear a hot mask, you can go back home and feel like you suffered a little bit for your sins, you know? It makes you feel, you know, purged, clean, ready to go back out there and start it all over. This is the thing. Church is an amazingly convenient place to just live in your sin because it makes you feel better. It makes you look better. And this is what Paul is trying to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He uses the example of the children of Israel back in the Exodus. Notice what he says. All of them, all of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. We're talking about how God appeared in the pillar of cloud in the fire at night and led the children of Israel all out of Egypt. He led them all out. And all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were, were baptized. Again, Paul's using an analogy, but he says it's like they were baptized. Because understand, the Corinthians, they've all been baptized. They take a lot of comfort in that. You know, they, they showed up at church and, and they got their children done. It's that sort of thing. So they've been baptized. And, and all of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. Paul's making an anal analogy. What's the analogy? It's like the Lord's Supper. All of them ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual water. They drank from the spiritual rock that was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them. Do you see that? It's the difference between all of them, most of them, and then later some of them. Most of them, God was not pleased with them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Do you understand? Sin is serious. It's life and death serious. All of them were taken out of Egypt, out of slavery. All of them crossed the Red Sea. All of them ate bread that fell out of heaven as a miracle. All of them drank water that flowed out of a rock, and yet some of them died in the desert. Understand? participation in the things of God isn't necessarily salvation in Christ. It's not about just going through waters of baptism. It's not about just showing up at church or dialing in online on Sunday. You understand, it's, 
It's much, much more serious than that. All of them experienced these blessings from God, but with most of them, God was not pleased. What exactly was it? What was it about them? What is the difference between, between some of them and most of them? You understand? It says right there in verse 6. Take a look at verse 6. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. You understand? What is it that, that caused them to fall into the displeasure of God? It's the fact that their hearts desired evil. Their hearts craved evil things. And so those desires, that craving for evil, it led them to turn away from God. It's not that God just thinned out the herd, you know, because he got tired of taking care of some of them. No, some of them turned away from him because their hearts desired evil. And, and so what I'm trying to help you understand is the fact that your church people the, the fact that you maybe have been baptized, the fact that, you know, once a quarter, if you're Baptist, you take the Lord's Supper. I'm telling you, these things aren't any kind of guarantee. These things are not really, you know, that which brings salvation. And they're not necessarily signs of your salvation. It's signs of your participation in a religious group. It may be signs that you've had a long, long habit for a long, long time. But I'm telling you, when your life is actually brought into contact with the power of the gospel of Jesus, there is a change. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. All the old things are passed away. Do you understand? There's a change. There's a change in you. And that change in you will lead to a change in your behavior. Absolutely. I'm not saved by my works. I don't get saved by being a good person. I don't get saved by not sinning. I just can't quit sinning. That's not what we're talking about. Because of Jesus, I guess we could say, I can do anything I want to. Freedom in Christ, as Paul would say. But the thing is, when you actually meet Jesus... He changes your want-tos. He changes your heart. If you belong to Christ, your desires will conform to his desires. You begin to want the things that he wants. You begin to desire holiness. Your sin becomes more and more repulsive to you. Now, there's a tension here, and I recognize the tension because I live in this tension. I'm not the man I used to be. I'm not the man I ought to be, understand. But I'm also not the man I'm going to be. What Jesus is doing in me is, is a process day by day. And he continues to sanctify my heart and set me apart for holiness. But, but I still have desires. I still have this pull towards sin. You do as well. I struggle against that. And this is what Paul is talking about. It is a struggle. But it's a healthy struggle. This is the Christian life. The Christian cannot be content to live a life of sin. You may fall into temptation. You may sometimes fail in the face of temptation. But if you're truly a believer, you cannot possibly live a life of sin. You cannot possibly continue to just roll around in your sin. If you belong to Christ truly, your desires will conform to his desires. If you prefer sin over your life in Christ, you really need to examine whether or not you have a life in Christ. He changes your heart. He changes your want-tos. He changes your desires. Of course there's temptation. And that's why Paul goes on. 
These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. Verse 12. If you think you are standing strong, watch out, lest you fall. That's the King James. Watch out. Yeah. If, if you think you're standing strong, watch out. It's, it's what I was talking about. It's the fact that sometimes we just seem to forget that we have an enemy. That the devil, he hates you. He despises your marriage. He hates your children. He will steal everything he can steal from your life. And I'm telling you, it's his full-time job. He can wait a long, long time. And, and, and that's kind of your problem. Because he's so patient, you know. He will sort of dangle it out there for you, and he'll bring you along kind of slowly. He, he sets the trap with the very things that he knows that you like. And, and for a while, you'll, you'll get the things that you like, just enough to keep you coming. Do you understand how he, he's evil? <laughs> but for the longest time, you don't even recognize. But because you minimize your sin, you, you, you minimize it. You, you always sort of find a way to indulge it, to excuse it. You continue to tell yourself that you know, you'll stop doing that tomorrow. Like, like, this is going to be the last time, but I'm going to enjoy it this one last time. I'm going to do it one more time, and after this, it's over. You know, tomorrow, and we'll start new tomorrow, and then tomorrow comes, and then and it's going to be the next day. You know, or maybe New Year's resolution, maybe 2021 will be your year. You know how we do? It's just amazing how we just continue to walk down this trail as if we do not have an enemy who is determined to destroy us. The Christian life demands you be on constant guard against temptations from the evil one. You have to be on your guard. You have to watch out. Just when you're feeling strong, Paul says, when you're feeling strong, that's the very moment when you need to watch out because there is a target on your back. I've told y'all about my dog, Augie, y'all, dumbest dog God ever made. I mean, I love her so much, but she's the dumbest dog ever. But, but I'm telling you, her whole life is about squirrels. Like sometimes, it's not really nice to me, but sometimes like in the house, I'll go, squirrel, just to watch her go, you know? I mean, she's like all about squirrels, you know? And so if she's outside, like she'll see a squirrel. And like, so she, she's all about it. She'll chase that squirrel, and that squirrel will go straight up to the walnut tree in the back of our house. Walnut tree goes straight up. The squirrel goes up and looks down. Aggie just goes under the tree and lays down. You know why she just lays down? Because that squirrel's got to come down eventually. And she ain't got nowhere to be. She doesn't have a job. She doesn't have anything to do but just lay right there and wait for that squirrel to come down. And you understand that's the devil in your life. You don't have anything else to do. You don't have anything else to do. So he'll let you, you know, kind of play around for a while. He'll let you get far enough where you actually start thinking your sin doesn't have any consequences. You start feeling like you're getting good at this. You start thinking, you know, I think I can live this double life. I'll just continue to cover my tracks. I can erase my internet history. I can always remember to clear out my text messages before my wife sees my phone. You understand? You just start getting kind of full of yourself thinking, I think I've got all this under control. You know, that this habit that could destroy me, I think I'm in control of this thing. I'll, I'll, I may do something about it tomorrow, but for now I'm good. See, this is how we talk. This is how we continue to fall for the devil's lie. It demands we stay on constant guard. 
against the temptations from the evil one. It's the temptation. Some of us are so not on guard that we don't even recognize temptation when it's in front of us. Some of us are no longer even aware of the sin in our own lives. You don't even think of yourself as a sinner. When is the last time you fell on your knees in prayer and just poured out your heart to God confessing your sins? You say, well, Pastor Tim, I've always thought that Jesus forgives all my sins. He absolutely forgives all of your sins. But at the same time, he wants to separate you from your sins. He wants to make you holy. He wants to make you holy as he is holy. And the only way he can do that is that when you learn to recognize sin in your life and begin to want him more than you want your sin. But the thing is, some of us don't even call sin, sin. We just call it, you know, like our bad habit. Or like, you know, oh, I messed up again. It was just a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. No, everybody needs to be on constant guard against the temptations from the evil one. Paul says, if you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Now, Paul said that, of course, but that's before there was an internet, right? Like now, Paul could not even imagine the sin that we've invented in the last 10 years. He could not even imagine you know, the shows on Netflix that your kids could watch. I mean, he could, I mean, Paul cannot, obviously, we've invented a lot of new sins. Do you understand the answer to all that is no? There are no new sins. Book of Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. There is actually no new way to sin. I mean, we got new ways to do the old sins, but it's all the old stuff. No temptation in your life is any different from what others experience. Understand, there are no new temptations, only the old ones, and the ways of escape are old as well. All the things that the Christian saints through all the years have told us is still true. Agreed. They didn't know about the internet. I mean, agreed. There's a lot about our lives and the stress of our lives and the speed of our lives that they didn't know about. But I'm telling you, Everything they told us about sin and avoiding temptation is still true. All the temptations are old, and all the ways of escape are old as well. Real quickly, let's talk about how to avoid temptation, ways of escape. Number one, there is usually a way to avoid temptation in the first place. The scripture clearly says God is faithful. He's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can stand. When you're tempted, he's going to show you a way out. He's going to show you a way out. There is always a way out. Now, Warren Weeks is happening this week. Warren is the one who said to me, I can't quote Warren exactly, but Warren basically said, the easy way out always comes earlier. Y'all know what that means? Like it's a whole lot easier if you take the exit ramp before you get so far down the road. But that's not how you work. I understand how you work. We're all like, no offense, teenagers, but we're all like teenagers. You know, back in my youth ministry days, I'd be talking about kids about, about you know, saving sex for marriage. And then what's the first question the teenagers always ask? Well, how far can I go? Right? Like, not going to have sex, I understand, but how far can I go? 
Understand what they're asking? They want to go as close. They want to get as close. They want to put their foot right on the line. Understand? You know, they want to get as close. You know, they want to go as far as they can without, you know, dropping off the edge. So how far can I go? But you understand, if you go all the way as far as you can go and still be, you know, four centimeters from sin, you've already gone too far. The actual way of escape is much, much easier if you find it early. But again, Satan baits the trap with exactly what you want. And honestly, when you step your foot on the pathway to sin, you always end up going further than you meant to go. You never really intend to let it go that far. But this is the thing. There is usually a way to avoid temptation in the first place, but it's usually in the first place. You avoid the situation. You know your heart. You know how the devil tempts you. And he doesn't have any new tricks. So you don't put yourself in the situation. It's like the guy that was trying to quit smoking. He came home from work, smelled like smoke. His wife said, I thought you quit smoking. He said, yeah, well, you know, when I drive home from work in the car, you know, that's when I really want a cigarette. So I was driving home and I, I felt the you know, packet in my pocket and I, I just had to have one. His wife said, well, if you quit smoking, why did you have a pack of cigarettes in your pocket? He said, well, I thought I might be tempted, and if I was tempted, I knew I'd, you know, I'd want them. I thought I might be tempted, so, you know, if I was tempted, you know, he took them, so in case he was tempted, you know, it sounds like to me he planned on smoking in the car on the way home from work. I mean, did I miss something in that story? And isn't that how you operate? It's like you, you, you don't really remove sin from your life, you just sort of keep it at, you know, within reach. You know, far enough where you can tell people, you know, I'm trying, I'm doing better. But, you know, it's, it's easy. It's easy enough to grab. It's, it's still, you know, right here. There's a way of escape, but you're a fool if you continue down that path knowing good and, good and, good and well what's waiting for you at the end. There is always a way of escape. Nobody's ever sinned and said, man, I couldn't help that. No, no. it's the very nature of sin. Sin is stupid. It's always stupid. You always get to it and you think, oh, you know, I knew better. I, I didn't mean to let that happen. I mean, every single time, it's just so stupid. You always know better and yet you do otherwise. There's a way to avoid temptation in the first place. God always provides a way out and the exit ramp is a whole lot easier to take if you take it early. N number two, quickly, God's power is released in your praying God's power is released in your praying. The reason in your Christian life you're so powerless is because you are so prayerless. You don't pray. And if you do pray, you don't pray enough. Or maybe you pray, but you pray exactly like you prayed in third grade. You're still at the now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I mean, that's like the depth of your prayer life. You got to get serious about your praying. Because you got some stuff in your heart that is going to destroy you. Learn to pray. Learn to talk to God. you got to get a hold of Jesus. You need his power in your life. The power is released in your praying. Understand, it's not so much about just running away from sin because you're not very good at that. It's not just running from sin. You need to run to Jesus. 
Run to Jesus because Jesus is able to change your heart. Jesus is able to strengthen you in the time of temptation. I love what it says. It's, it's almost like, what, Paul, what do you mean? Notice what he says. God is faithful. Jesus is faithful. He's not going to allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. Let that sink in. He'll show you a way out so you can endure. Well, am I getting out or am I enduring? Well, understand, when it says way out, it doesn't mean you won't still be tempted. It means you don't fall into sin. To win over temptation is not to escape it. Some of you are tempted every single day. And for some of you, endurance means saying no every single day. And for some of us, it's every single minute of every single day. Some of us are tempted by things that are deep down in us, desires that we don't understand, that we don't even know how to describe. Some of us are bound by addictions. And for us, walking in Christ means enduring temptation. You, you could take a drink. You could do it. But you're not going to do it. But it's a fight every single day and sometimes every single minute of every single day. I mean, some of you right now are watching this worship service on the same computer that the rest of the week you're watching porn. That's hard for you. Because to endure that temptation means to say no, not just every day, but multiple times every single day. But this is what Paul is saying. I mean, he's very realistic about what sin is and what temptation's like. There's going to be a way out for you. It doesn't mean you're not still drawn to the things that would destroy you. It just means he's going to be faithful and he's going to strengthen you to endure. You're going to be able to endure. Uh, you must stand and endure temptation. You must stand and endure temptation. You must stand and you must endure. It means saying no. It means learning to call out to Christ. And, and, and one last thing, it, it, it means to stand upon the word of God. You know, all through the years, the saints have always told us that, that the real strength comes. The strength comes from the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 11 says this, it says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's the power in the word of God. I mean, honestly, if some of you would put into your Bible study the energy you put into your sin, I mean, you would be a scholar. I mean, you'd know some Bible. You know, if, if every time you reach for a cigarette, you also read a Bible verse, you know, by this time you'd, you'd, already, you'd already smoked your way through Revelation. I mean, you understand if we put that kind of energy into knowing God's word, but we just don't. You see, it's so much easier to obey God if you know what God has actually said. It's a whole lot easier to avoid sin if you actually know what God forbids and what God commands. But for the most part, we don't have any real clue what God says because we're not in his word. The strength comes from all the things that we've always known the strength comes from. It's a life in the Word of God, a life of prayer, a life of running to Jesus. Do you understand 
We're not talking about temptation kind of at the Reese's peanut butter cup Sunday level. You know there's more at stake than that. Temptation's serious because sin is serious. It's life and death serious. That's why Paul says right about the time you feel like you're strong, you watch out so you don't fall. Watch out. Don't fall. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, it's serious. It's life and death serious. Lord, some of us right now, we have managed to keep our sin just within reach. Lord, we know We know the habits, we know the hang-ups, we know the attitudes, Lord. We know the sin that entangles us, Lord, but we simply do not have a real desire to be free. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would go to work on our hearts, that you would cause us, Lord, to develop an actual revulsion to our sin. Help us, Lord, to find a new strength in the moments of temptation. Oh, Jesus, help us just to love you more, to want you more. Lord, to want the holiness that you give so much more, Lord, than we want the sin that would destroy our souls. Oh, God, some of us are so strongly tempted. Some of us, Lord, live lives of such utter defeat, utter shame. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would lift our heads today. I pray that you would help us to find our strength in you to fall on our faces and confess our sins and begin to allow you to change our hearts to change our desires, to change the things we want to do so that we no longer, Lord, live our lives as slaves to sin. Lord Jesus, only you can do this for us. So we run to you. We call out to you. We don't deserve your grace, but it's the only thing that makes us want to change. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that we can change through you. Make it so, Lord. We pray in your precious name. Amen.